0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. And what's funny is in the songs and also in Aaron, when he was up here, uh, doing the transition and leading us into, really, some heaven that was falling on the, on this place. It was he has really spoke the message that that was birthed in me. I don't know. It's been a long while, but uh, and then when he texted me the other day, I was like, it, I was like, oh my God, I've got. It. I'm on the worship team. I was here at six this morning. I was here yesterday doing things, and uh, I just started a graduate class in my second year of my graduate program, and I had work I had to get done. And my wife, she's like, you can't preach. She's like, you got too much of, uh, other things going on. I'm like, I know, but next week's even worse. So uh, I don't know if your life is like that, but me, I'm just like, bring it, bring it. Whatever's in front of me, I'll, I'll, I'll accomplish it. Um, funny story, I was in uh, the Navy, but not like my father's Navy. Um, they actually were on ships and things. I was never on a ship. I was, I was in a combat unit in the Navy. So uh, we would go around everywhere, and our motto was can do, and it literally was that. Uh, they would send eight, ten of us into this woods, and they're like, we need a runway there within a month. And so we literally just uh, go at it and get it done. And uh, I I saw Kristen in here earlier. Anybody in the Air Force, previous Air Force? You know, we we, we would see you guys coming when we'd be deployed to certain places, and you guys would roll in and like Cadillacs. (laughs) We were, I remember we were in Cuba. And it was like 115 degrees and we were setting up some refugee camps in the Air Force. They were always late to the game anyhow. So we had already been there a month. And these guys roll up in all this equipment. They brought these things that were uh, they weren't very wide and all of a sudden they started pulling them apart like an accordion. And we're like, what is that? We were sleeping in tents. And sure enough, these things are where they were gonna sleep in. Then they hooked air conditioners up to them. I mean, I'm telling you. But I was happy that when I was stationed in Gulfport, Mississippi, that Biloxi was right next door, because being the Navy, it didn't matter. You can go on any base and eat food, and so we all in our base food for the Air Force's food. So I do thank you. But you guys had it really easy <laughs> compared to us, CB. So hopefully we can, through this message, you Air Force people can rise to a whole new level today. Amen? <laughs> all right. I've, I've beat, beat you up enough. But thank you for serving. Um, so... <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Amen. (laughs) I didn't in the first service either. (laughs) So, uh, abundant joy. I was, the last few weeks in in our small group, and we've been meeting and and really recalibrating what we want to do as we move forward through this year. Uh, Just like everybody in here, we're from the Miami Valley, and there's a lot of weird things that happen, Uh, unique things from uh, the tornadoes to the shooting. Uh, Just to everything that has been affecting our area, it also affects all of us in here. I think you know there was people directly, and our youth is out there right now, uh, organizing a trailer that we've had a lot of donations to the Tornado Relief. So, I mean, it it has really hit home, and what it has done in our group, and I think in our church as well, is really have us look at where we are spiritually. Uh, you know, what is, what, where is God? And we, we want to find God and recalibrate ourselves and say, okay, uh, you know, we had a, a, lo- a long couple of seasons in this church, and I mean like years, where God was just, his voice was just so strong, and we're going after it, and you know, we have a pastor that really um, deserves a lot of honor, because what he does is, is really, he does so much, and doesn't get um, compensated for it, really. And so, uh, but the last few months has been just so unique with where we are at, but also it has got the eyes of the nation upon us once again as well. And we've always been, Ohio, it's like, you know, there's a saying that where Ohio goes, there goes our nation. And, and I really believe that in so many different ways. I'm not just talking political. I mean, I do mean spiritually. And you know, there were more inventions in the Miami Valley than, and patents than all the rest of the U.S., right in this little region. And so, God has something special that really that we're a part of just by being here in Ohio. And, so, and we take that even to the next steps of where we're at as a church. I take that as where I'm at in my own home, that there is a, there is a favor upon us. And in the midst of tragedy, the nation's looking at us to say, hey, how are we going to rise above this? How are we going to react when everybody else that's normal reacts this way? How are we going to react? And so that's what we've been doing as a, as a small group that's a part of this church is we've been meeting and saying, okay, you know, we were hearing from God a couple years ago, and it was literally putting one foot in front of the other because of what he was saying. And it was literally, we were like a compass aimed straight for what God was leading us. And prophecy after prophecy was being fulfilled. Positions, promotions, you know, we read that as a declaration over our finances, but literally in the spiritual realm, we were doing that. We were conquering. And we still plan on doing it, but we, we went through a season where it's just we, we've been hanging out, to be honest. And I think that's our church in a sense, too, is it's not, we need to today mark today and say we're not hanging out anymore. We're going to take it to a new level. And so I really believe God has given some keys to this church that we don't even know that are here. And now that we see some keys, what doors do they go to, and how do we open these doors? So I I have this message that really has to do with running. Who runs? Anybody? Like, raise it high and proud. Keep it up, everybody. You didn't give people a chance to look. I got to see who the runners are. All right, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a runner. Uh, I like to run short distances, so at work, I'll I'll do sprints, but uh, my my old body, I can't take, I put myself through way too much abuse when I was younger, so the doctors say, do not run, but I I have found that when I run sprints, it it doesn't affect my knees, and I can do it very well, but what I'm talking about with running is, you endurance runners, so, and for me, that would be anything over 10 minutes, so, if, if you runners are doing that, something happens about the 10-minute mark. Like, I used to run our 5Ks here at church just for fun, and, uh, until we had a guy that couldn't ride a bicycle to, to lead people, so I had to take over to bike for about five years. All right, John? We were, listen, just a funny story. I won't, I won't throw him under the bus, because he's not even here. So, we have uh, this bicycle. We had uh, an annual 5K on Memorial Day here for, for many, many years. I, I want to say it was like seven or eight years, so... Um, when we got to this new church, the route changed. And so the route would head out of the church, turn right, and then go down a little ways and go left through the neighborhood. And so, but it was the last street. It wasn't the first street past the little business. It was the last street. And so uh, you guys know the 5K people. They're hardcore. They go like from, it's a circuit for them. It's like they go from race to race to race. And you see them, some of them will do a warm-up 5K before they do our 5K. And I'd be out there, and like, you guys are crazy, um, but, anywho, one of our people here was on the bicycle, all geared up, and he went out. And I was running this race, and all of a sudden, these people are coming out of this neighborhood, and I'm like, "Who? Is there two races going on? What's going on? And these people were cussing, screaming, yelling at uh, our poor guy that turned down the wrong road for him. Because, you know, that, they're all tracking their time and everything else. So I mean, it was pretty funny. But that guy wasn't on the bicycle the next year, because that, uh, that was a pretty big deal to those people. <laughs> but again, I'm not a runner. But I do know that in times that I have ran for distance, about 10 minutes is a barrier for me, at least, that it's like, all right, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die. I can do this. As painful as it is, about 10 minutes for me, it's like, all right, we can do this. I can do about an eight-minute pace, and we can, we can finish out this 5K. And in life, I've noticed that and after that, we would go over to my mom and dad's over here, and we would have a big cookout. So I would feel so good that I just ran 3.1 miles, and so then I would just indulge. And so, but that's life. It's like you endure sacrifices, so then you can have pleasure. Is that just me? Aaron, you ever see he bens diets, and then he'll you'll see him somewhere and it's like, I thought you was on a diet. He's like, Oh, I was on this off day. And I'm telling you what, on his, on people, some people I see on their off day, it's like, well, all you had to do is be normal for, for forever because that off day just, just put a beating on you. Um, so, anywho, running is so unique because it lines up spiritually for abundant blessing. Abundant blessing. We don't, and Aaron gave it away a little bit of mediocrity is who wants to be mediocre? No hands went up. I almost got one, I think. (laughs) I would hope nobody. But yeah, in the church, and I'm not saying this church, I'm looking at when I see studies and see things on the Barna or different studies that are done from a Christian standpoint, 98% of people profess to know Christ. At least believe in Christ. And my Bible says when you believe, you receive and you're, you're saved. But yet, I look at our, our environment, I look at our culture, I look at America, I look at Ohio, I look at all these different things, and, and I'm like, my, aren't we settling as a nation? It's almost like when, when I took over at the fire department as the fire chief, we weren't going in any direction. We were getting the job done, but internally, we were a wreck. And so when I took over, I mean, there was people doing their own thing. There was people doing this, our equipment, our training. So I really sat down and said, you know what, I gathered a core group of people around me and said, we're going to develop the core values of why we do what we do, and that will be our guide. And then when we start to get left of center, we can look at that and say, you know what, what about the integrity? What about the honor? What about the compassion? What about the compassion of why we do what we do, guys? If we were compassionate and we cared about our community, why would we do this? And it really creates a good guide for how we lead and, and at, that, at the fire department. So we as a nation, and, and think of that, you know, it can be a small step city, but I believe we've settled. We've settled to be able to come into the church building and, and feel a little bit for ourselves and walk on out. Come back the next week, and occasionally we, we run into somebody where we can give our Christian talents away. Occasionally. But when I read the Bible and when I look at life and I tell my son who is 13 years old that nothing comes without a price, that's the truth. Amen. There is something about the truth that is so enlightening and it is such a thing, but sometimes the truth isn't always easy. I was telling my son, he just entered into the seventh grade, so he's in junior high and it seems like yesterday he was literally, I was talking to Josh, It's like he was this big. Now he's bigger than me. But we told him, in, in all seriousness, you're going to be exposed to things. So he wants a cell phone with a plan. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Um, you know, I don't know how to run my own to be able to trust you. And so, but we told him. We were like, in the school, and we've always told him, as long as you are a leader and not being led, then we will let you be in a public school. But when we feel that you are being led and you're not this leader and you're not doing and you're now a follower, we're gonna have a discussion what how we should proceed as a family. And I hope you you all do that. There's nothing wrong with the public school, there's nothing wrong with home school, there's nothing wrong with the Christian school. It's all about you as an individual. What are you going to do? You as a family, you're going to settle for a mediocre child that's you say is a Christian and now is in school and, and justifying all these different things. So I told you, I said, you're going to be exposed to things if we let you go down that path of a cell phone. You're going to be exposed at junior high all the time. There is pictures being taken and pictures being shared that in the court systems right now there are juvenile children from the age of 13 and less that are in court order programs because of the things they send electronically. And I asked Judah, I said, who are you? Are you strong enough when that time comes? Because it will come. Are you strong enough to say that's not right? And now I have to do something about it. Not just like turn away, but you actually have to do something about it. Because if you don't do something and you walk away, you were guilty as the rest of them. And so I'm not confident today that he's ready for that. And then I pointed to the Bible, and I said, Judah, we were recalibrating our family as well this past week, and we have spent every night worshiping as a family at night. And I said, in this Bible are a bunch of people, story after story of, of characters after characters, and they're not characters, they're real people who had to face difficult decisions and do what was right, and when they did, God used them as an example for what he wants and not this mediocrity of everybody else. How many people has come and went since since Genesis? But yet you had people who, when the time came, they didn't want to settle for mediocrity. They rose above and they did what was tough. And even though the truth sounds easy, it's not. The reason Aaron chose me today is because I'm the most hardcore person you'd ever meet. Laugh. Come work with me. And I'm not talking about at the fire department. I'm saying come here and work with me. Come be on a praise team with me. But I'm not harder on anybody else than I am on myself. But I come across bad sometimes because normalcy is to just to go with the flow. Being normal is easy. And being a normal Christian, you'll make it to heaven. I promise you. Because he says that those who call me by name and those who receive me, those who I have a relationship with. But and you know how many people were in this Bible that made it to heaven that didn't make it in the pages of these books? Sometimes there was people that not only wanted to go to heaven, they wanted to make an impact when they were given this great opportunity of life to be in this place. A recent Harvard study followed three teenagers from 1930s. It was an 80-year study, and they followed them because they wanted to find out what makes people happy. So they followed these people for 80 years, marked them out. And it, was, it was three or four teenage boys, all different, different demographics. And so at the end of this big, long study, they said that what brings most happiness to people, and i.e., joy, is relationships. Relationships haven't changed since Adam and Eve. They were created for a relationship with God. God created everything, and it was good. And then he says, I'm going to create somebody who can be somebody I can communicate with. I need company. And then he created man, and Adam's in the garden, and he's like, man, this guy could use a helpmate as well. Then there was Eve, and so, I mean, it hasn't changed. And then they had to do an 80-year study to show that relationships bring the most happiness. But along with relationships, they found in that study, too, what brings the most sorrow is relationships. So there's this line somewhere that there's this line that below it could be, you know, mediocrity. It could be just normalcy, but it could also be where all the suffering is. And I'm not talking about suffering like Jesus did on the cross. We'll get to that in a little bit. I'm talking about suffering about you're jealous because your neighbor has his car paid off. Or you come into church and you find that somebody else is driving a nicer vehicle than you. Talking about looking at a marriage and being like, man, why can't my marriage be like this? There's a line of, of this thing where everybody, there's a lot of people that settle and they want this, but they're stuck here and they don't know how to get to the, the abundancy. And here today, if you just listen and open your heart, there's going to be some, I truly believe this, that there's going to be a door unlocked for you that just makes it just plain. You know, personal, I used to be a personal trainer. And to me, it was, it was like just common sense. It literally was. But I would encounter people and I would be with them, you know, once a week for an hour and they wondered why they weren't losing weight or they would wonder why it's like, well, I don't, I can't lift any more weights. And it's mostly weight loss is what I had to deal with. And I remember this truck driver, and he's like, I'm like, what are you eating? Like, do me a favor, just go, because he was getting frustrated at me. And I'm like, I'm, it's not my fault. I'm working with you. It's like, if you wanted to work out, buddy, then, then go work out with somebody. But you've hired a trainer, and now you're mad at me because you're not getting results. I'm like, just take a week and write down everything you eat. And I mean, and don't hide it. Just don't lie. Just do it. And so he brings me this list, and I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, dude, like three Mountain Dews a shift when you're driving your truck and a whole bag of Cheetos every night. Yeah. I'm like, well, you can't do that and expect to make differences here. Well, I can't give that stuff up. (laughs) He's like, because he drove for UPS and at that time, they didn't even let him have a radio. He's like, I'm bored out of my mind. He's like, I'm not giving up my Mountain Dew and Cheetos. And I'm like, all right. I'm not training you anymore. <laughs> but people can be saying, you know what? I want to be like you. I want to have the benefits. I want to have the, it's like you don't even worry about finances. It's because you have all of this. And people don't even know sometimes what sacrifices are made by certain people to get to the abundance, but yet they're jealous of it. This study that was done in about relationships, another study that was recently done on millennials saying, hey, a thousand millennials, what do you wish to attain? What is the, you know, top three things by the time you reach 50, what do you want? It was being rich, 80% of them, I wanna be rich. 50% of those said, I wanna be famous. Why aren't we influencing these people? Where is our influence as Christians? Come on. People come to me, they're gonna hear the truth. And sometimes people tell me to tone it down, and I can't. That's why I'm only up here every six months. (laughs) But when I'm up here, you're going to hear it. So turn to your Bible in Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon, or uh, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. He was uh, David's son. So uh, David, the king... Has, has a couple of sons, and one of them, you know, the lineage of David all the way to Jesus Christ. There was a lineage of kings. And so Solomon was the one, if you're familiar, that, that, that God had a conversation with him. And God says, you know, what do you, what do you want? And uh, he says, I just want wisdom. And so here is the most wise thing. And so I wanted to point out that, you know, the millennials today aren't any different than the millennials when Solomon was a millennial. Ecclesiastic, the second chapter, starts in verse 1. He said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this, too, was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness in this way. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything that God ever gives you will never fail you. Each and every one of us have giftings, and it will never fail you. Solomon at that time, when God granted him wisdom, he became far far greater in his, his thoughts and his wisdom that queens and kings would come from all over just to sit and listen to him speak. And so here he says, you know, my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I desired, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors, but I looked at everything that I had, worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing worthwhile anymore. It's no different. It's no different today what what the enemy has done when when and that's the other thing. It's like you have this this sacrifice level of here to get to the abundance. And it's like I heard a song, a country song, I listen to country music occasionally, and it was saying the, the line between joy and pleasure is so thin. And so here you have today the same thing that's happening out in this environment of America and and everywhere else is we want things. These things will make us happy. This money will make me happy. You know, in his day, he did the same thing. He had tried it all, but nothing brought him joy. So I do have a scripture here in Psalms 27, and it's David talking about 27, 4 through 6. He says, the one thing that I ask of the Lord The one thing that I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in you know, and we all aspire to that. It's like, what do you desire? I desire to long in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We say it, but what are we doing to accomplish it? It doesn't, church service on Sunday, maybe meeting in a group and doing this it's great. We have community. I mean, last week was amazing. Even as hot as it was, it was amazing to see new people, meet new people, and say, "Man, we're we're in this. We're upper roomies. We're trying to be different than the other people." And so, lots of people say that. That's my desire to delight in the Lord's uh, perfections and meditating in His temple. It goes on to say, "For conceal me there when troubles come." He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above the enemies who surround me. At this sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. I, I, there was a definite difference from the first service to the second service in this praise. And so, and, and I'm not knocking that, those people in the first service, but I was praying to God, and then the second service happens, and it's like, If your worship doesn't cost you something, you are doing it wrong. If you are just coming in, and you can come in and we can have this great service, but what if we took it to that level of like, man, that hurt when I did that. I don't know if you saw Amy, but she was not feeling well today. But yet when she took over that last song, the first service, she wasn't able to do it. But this one, she sacrificed and took us to a place with her. It wasn't easy. She was sucking down hot tea in that, uh, at 7 a.m. But she knows that this is a gifting that God is giving her, and she's going to say, I'm not going to do it if it's just easy. It's going to cost me something because I know what God has in store for the whole church. Yeah. But what if everybody took that philosophy? Like, I'm not just coming in today to come in. It's like, hey, where's them donuts at Caleb? Yeah. They're good. I, I always have at least one. So, but what are you doing? What has been your contribution to this church body? Come on. Some of you are new, and that's fine, but some of you that aren't new, what has been your sacrifice? What has been your faith? And when you're talking sacrifice, I'm talking in it synonymous with faith. Like, I remember when... when we knew that Judah was on his way as a little baby. Wasn't here yet, but we knew he's coming. I my wife came to me one day and we had the we had the five-year plan, we had the 10-year plan, we we had a long-term plan. You know, I'm a planner. But my wife's even like on steroids on, on planning. And it's like if I told her on a Thursday, hey, somebody wants to go out Friday night, Whoa. what? What? maybe next Friday. It's like, you know, it's, it's a week out for her. It's like, no surprises. So she came to me and she said, hey, I feel led. Now, part of our plan was we both work. We had a house that we wanted to pay off. We got, you know, we got long-term things, excitement in our life, like down the road that we're willing to sacrifice now for. But she said, hey, I want to not work when we have him. My first reaction is, that sounds amazing. I want to delight in the Lord too, all the days of my life. And so, so I said, like any normal human being that has plans, say, I said, how's that work in our plan? She's like, that do not work in our plan. I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, well, why don't we do the math on that? And let's, let's see. And so she obliged, and uh, you know, I don't know how long later, she came back, she's like, hey, it doesn't line up mathematically. Because we were trying to save, I mean, we were you know, not real young, but we were younger than we are now. And so, anywho, long story short, we knew it was God's plan, period. Come on. We sought his face, we knew it, and so we did it. And it wasn't one month later, actually it was like two months later, an opportunity at work came for a promotion for me that washed away what we were going to lose by her not working. Every time in our life, and I'm just talking from a financial standpoint, if you're looking at finances, when God sees that he can give you little and you can do much with that little and well done, he will give you access to more. But not until there's a faith step and a sacrifice. Give more than you have based on faith because you know this is a kingdom principle. And God says, look at this, because there's somebody over here that's not doing that. And he says, I'm going to take from this one and give to this family over here, because they're doing well with the kingdom. Somebody suffered when me and Amy did that. So there was suffering somewhere else to, in order for the kingdom to shift to us. That might flip some of you guys out, but that is biblical. There is only so much in the pot. I tell this to my guys at work all the time. When I'm dealing with budget, the pie is so big. You realize in this planet Earth, or the finances, it's not like you think that the government just prints more money. That's kind of true, but there's still the pie is only so big. In the kingdom realm, when somebody's blessed, somebody else was not doing what God wanted them to do. Yeah, some was taken from somebody who hid their treasure, and now it's been given to somebody that has stewarded it well. That's scripture. So I challenge you, and that's all I'm going to talk on finances, is I challenge you, how are you stewarding your finances? Are you worried about yourself, or are you worried about the kingdom? When you can worry about the kingdom, say, God, what do you want? Your finances will flip, and you won't even, you can't explain it. I've got a rush, but I'm feeling it like my dad. I've got a little, little spirit on that one. So David understood that even his praise involved a sacrifice. David was hardcore, just like me. I, like if I'm thinking of a Bible character, it's like I'm, I'm David. Like I can envision, like when Aaron's talking about that hunting, that David was always like, you know, scouting around. Like you know, even when as a sheep farmer, as he was a shepherd boy that nobody thought would be even king worthy. He was always on the lookout. Like you know, if you're hanging out with David, like say me and you hanging out, and you're like. You're like, what are you looking at? And I was like, man, I think I see a lion up there. I'm going to go kill that thing. Just run up there with his bare hands and (laughs) kill it. That's the Bible that says that. He's like, I could kill it. He's like, what are you? And then he marches over to his brothers. He's like, why are you guys letting that that big dude mess with you guys? What's going on here? And they're like, you know, this whole kingdom palace, they're all just like, and this guy's laughing at him, named Goliath. And David's like, you guys, just go kill him. And He did. But David's that guy that understood that in order to do something, it probably doesn't look normal. I don't know if that was normal in the Bible in the the old days, that just guys went out and killed lions with their bare hands. I don't think it was normal. (laughs) I think that's that mediocrity that we're talking about. Most people would be like, it's only two sheep out there, David. (laughs) These are all right. No, I'm not cool with that. Go kill that thing. I'll be right back. And then it's like, man, you better get into shape you're going to hang out with me. It's like Aaron. I'm so sorry. So I want to point one more story about David in 2 Samuel, the 24th chapter. It talks, David, this principle you have to get. You don't have to. I want you to understand something. You don't have to rise to abundance today. That's your choice. But I can't imagine that anybody in here doesn't want abundance if it's accessible. And we're just telling you, and I'm telling you here today, that God gave this to me. This isn't on my own. You can do it, but it's going to involve something, and are you willing to pay for it? So David here in the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel, it says, That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar. And I'm in the 18th verse. Go up and build an altar to the Lord on a threshing floor of Arunah the Jezebite. So David went up to do that, what the Lord had commanded with him. And when Anunna saw that the king and his men were coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Aruna asked. David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, king, and use it as you wish. Aruna said to David, here is the oxen. Here's everything. Here, I am just so honored that you're here. Take it all. I will give it to you, your majesty, and the Lord, may your Lord God accept this sacrifice. But the king replied to Aruna, no. I insist on buying it, for I will not present a burnt offering to the Lord, my God, that will cost me nothing. And the Lord answered his prayer. So you wonder, David, here's the, the dichotomy of David. You have uh, an individual who is just straight shooter, just truth and truth, and, and uh, he didn't run out and say, hey, I should be the king. God already knew. He was already doing and stewarding what God said. That's the, that is him. And so then David, just upon his own foundation and character, he got this revelation from God. God is the one that said, don't give me something that doesn't cost you. What are you, you are always crying in front of me, David, but is it real tears or is it these crocodile tears? Is it your heart or is it just you just showing some other people why you're worshiping me? And so there was this gleaning process with David and, and by no stretch of the means was David perfect. You realize that. But what I've realized is why I love David so much is because when you're a passionate person going after the right and the truth and, and what's right, you're occasionally gonna get it wrong. But I would rather be passionate and live for something and fight for something, even if it's wrong, than not fight for anything. And that was David. His passion sometimes got him into some trouble. And he paid for it. You realize David wanted the temple back in Jerusalem, but because of the blood on his hands, he was not able to do that. There are sometimes long-term consequences for our actions, but it never changed that even Jesus said, you know what? There are consequences, but Jesus is coming in the lineage of David. He was a man after God's own heart. He might have stumbled and he might have, his passions and desires might have got the best of him sometimes, but, He still followed after God. He knew what was right. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He's like, we need to bring the power back. Just like my core values I was talking about, starting as a chief, David said, I'm not going to start this kingdom in Jerusalem without the power. I got a quick story to tell you about a guy named Roger, who was a runner. For all you runners. And he was born in 1929 in England. And Roger wanted to attend medical school, but he was too poor. His parents weren't rich enough to send him to medical school. They didn't have enough funds to send him to medical school. So Roger, um, somebody at some point told Roger, man, you're a pretty good runner. He said, you think? And so he started running and developed that talent, and it got him a scholarship to Oxford University in England into med school. And while he's there, he was, became a phenom of running. I mean, the guy was just, and it was distance running and so the olympics were were upcoming and it was the 1948 olympics and roger witnessed it and then he said that's what i'm going to do i'm going to train for the 1952 olympics and his whole country started to get behind him and all of them knew that roger was going to win gold medal in the 1500 meter in the 1952 olympics so he was training, he, everything was going right, his schooling's okay. 1952, Olympics come, and he took fourth place. Which is still pretty good, I would think. But his country, the, the newspaper articles, everything was like, what a letdown. This guy had it all. I mean, he, was, he should have made gold, and he stumbled on the biggest moment of his life on that day. He stumbled and got fourth place. He took a month and he's like, you know what, I don't, I don't even know if I want to run anymore. I, my, my goal was always to be a, a, a doctor. And so he took a month, and then he, he says, wait a minute. There's something not jiving with my spirit here. And who are these people that's ridiculing me who's put in all this hard work my whole life and it has got me to my dream. I'm going to graduate and become a doctor but who are these people ridiculing me because I let them down? Nobody would have been mad at Roger if Roger would have just kind of faded off into obscurity and then just became this doctor who made lots of good... uh, He really changed in the field of neurology by some of the things he contributed to science later in his life. He took a month, and after that month, he said, that's not me, I'm gonna do something that's never been done. So he starts training for this distance, and he starts, you know, they start to see what he's trying to accomplish, and everybody says, Roger, you're crazy. Scientifically impossible what you're trying to do, what you're trying to run. Not only is it impossible, your body is impossible for a human being to do what you're trying to do. You can get close, and many had. And he trained and he trained and he trained. And on May 6th, he ran the mile in 3 minutes, 59 seconds, 0.4. He was the first to say, this mediocrity, it's not okay for me. It's normal for people to say I'm less than, that I was a good runner, but I was never able to get up into abundance. He proved them all wrong, and since then, there's been many people who've broken the four-minute mile. But Sir Roger Bannister was the first. And it was built upon shame. You can't do it. How many in here has been told, and don't raise your hand, you can't do what you're saying you're going to do? You can't have the job that you're talking about that you want. Why don't we just come in here and we'll pray that God will give you another desire? Why don't we just get around you and lift you up and say, you know what, you've got high hopes, but man, let's just gather around and crush your dreams together. And then see how you feel after that. <laughs> Roger took what everybody was saying that you can't do, even though at this point in time they're saying it, it's literally, there is science behind it, it's impossible. But I can't imagine, and the stories don't tell, the pain and the suffering and the price he paid to break it. He didn't have Nike Jordan's heir, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's 1956. He'd been lucky to have a piece of flat leather on the of his feet. And I can't imagine the blisters. The times that he got, like, not even close. But he pushed, and he pushed, and he pushed. I'm gonna wrap this up, if you stand with me, with one more. One more man. That this is attainable for you this abundance of what you're jealous in, whatever area, X, Y, Z, or you just think you can never attain this level of abundance, you're wrong. You're lying to yourself. I'm telling you today that we could be the church right here that could light up the next revival around this, and I'm not talking about revival going church every now. I'm talking about revival in God's spirit in the community. Why does it take a shooting in Dayton to say Dayton's strong? And I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. I'm glad that the Dayton and the Miami Valley region is coming together to say that this wasn't right. This was, this was something that was stolen from us and we're gonna change and we're gonna draw together as a community. But why does it take that? If we were shooting for the pinnacle of every abundance in our life, we wouldn't, that stuff wouldn't happen to begin with because we would be reaching those folks. Those people who commit those acts are hurting. Somebody there is called bad childhood experiences, BCEs. I was in a class about a month ago, and they said children from the age of like uh, 4 to 12, if they experience three BCEs, they're going to have major issues. A bad childhood experience of a father saying, you're worthless. A schoolmate saying, you're fat. Name the bad childhood experiences. It doesn't take much to get a mindset over somebody that says, This is, uh, now I'm going to become normal for those people who get put down. Or normal becomes, I'm going to become filled with rage. There are avenues for those people. There are video games. There are subcultures. There's a dark web for these people to feel normal. Like it's normal for those people to gather weapons. It's normal for those people to to have these conversations. But you know what? What if somebody took aside when they found out? Did you know that pastors and educators are the lowest paid professionals in our country? Crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So here you have one more person. Hebrews 12, and the title of my little heading on my study Bible said, The Race of Faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run... With endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I asked Judah just yesterday, I said, Judah, what was the joy set before Jesus when he died on the cross? He said, it's us. Don't let this abundance be something that you're trying to get for yourself. Mercy Me sings a song. It's called Younger Me, dear, dear me, or something. I'm horrible at this stuff. I just play the notes. So, but he says, man, if I knew the joy wasn't about me in that song, if I only knew that when I was younger, if it was that the joy I'm trying to get wasn't about me. I was talking to Lisa last night and a couple others that we were in Sydney with some good friends. And if you're a Christian long enough, you're going to get weird, weird thoughts. I remember my mother in law, when she first started coming to church, she's like, I get these feelings occasionally. Is there really a God? I was like, don't worry. After 15 years, I still wonder at some from time to time. But then I was like, wait a minute, snap back. God is good. But I was saying, you know, why? I just had this running thought last few weeks. It's like, you see all this bad, and it's like doing the career that Aaron and I do, you see so much of the negative side of people. But on the flip side, you see such the positive side of people. So I was like, why isn't God? Why hasn't he came back? Why hasn't he called his church up? And I just felt this thing inside of me. God's like, because if I do that, stop creation. And with creation, I'm calling more Davids. Somebody might have a baby who can be the next Solomon, the next Samson that can change a whole generation. I'm not ready because if I come back, there will be no more Davids. There will be no more Joes and Lisas and Glories and all these things that it's like, because I know they're coming, and they're not going to settle for this mediocrity. they're going to be rising above it. They don't The furthest thing they want to be is mediocre. They want to do what's right, but they're willing to pay the price. Jesus died on a cross because the joy set me in front of him and it wasn't the throne. The joy that was set in front of him was you. And He's given you the opportunity, this amazing thing of life, which some people say is like a vapor, but when you really look at every minute that we have here, it's an eternity. It passes by because we live in this mediocrity. I'm telling you, you have the keys and you have people in this building. If you partner with them, you will go to new heights. And you won't be concerned about your finances. You won't be concerned about your marriage because it just tags along with the benefits of knowing what you are in Christ. I was going to do some wild praise music, but I don't feel that now. I feel that if you want a level with God that you've never had before, just make your way up here. You're stepping out as the one that's saying, you know what, I don't want to sit in the back, stand in the back. I'm, I'm different. You have to be different. I'm not saying you have to come up here. Look at this. This is the next David's. This is the next Esther's. Did you know that Esther, in the Bible, and Esther, you know, I've been talking about all men. You women are just as important. Yes. In Esther, King was saying that, you know, there was a, a guy that was plotting against the people of Israel. And there was a moment in time that Esther had to be able to access the king. He loved her, he was, she was beautiful, he was, she was the queen. But she knew if she wasn't summoned by the king, she was gonna die. And she told her uncle that. He says, She's like, I haven't been before the king for 30 days. And I know the risk, if I go before him and he didn't call me and he doesn't establish and lay down his scepter towards me, I could die. And just like Isaiah, when God says, Whom am I going to send? Who will go before me? And Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. Esther says, This is the day that I'm going to mark in history. And she's in here. So I just pray over you, all of you that are willing to say, I'm not going to settle anymore. Today is going to be a mark. Mark. I'm marking today that my life is gonna change, those around me is gonna change, and the culture is going to change because God has made it to change. This culture is gonna change, folks, I can promise you that. God's plan in the end will be fulfilled. It will either be fulfilled with you, or Esther, or Isaiah, or David, or you. And it's amazing to think that you have that potential that they could be you anybody squash that? Today we're dreaming and we are saying, this is a new day. God has marked the church today and he's marked every one of us and I just pray over you right now. Lord, you just, these people, and I mean everybody in here, Lord. Everybody. That today is a day that we understand what we can be, but Lord, we know it's going to come with a price. After we pay that price, we know that the abundance is there. The abundance of our influence, the abundance of us to be able to save marriages, the abundance of the healing power that will be established in some of these people today. That when we speak of praying for somebody, it's not a mediocrity Christian prayer. It is a faith-filled prayer that we say, we are going to align with heaven, and we are going to pray for your father, your mother, that is diagnosed with cancer, and cancer be gone. And it happens. Wow. You guys got me pumped up. Got me pumped up, fired up. guys rock you know what's awesome about this is i i've been down for a while you know devil had me down and it's like there are nobody willing to do what you're you're about to preach this was months ago you're going to preach a message that's going to fall on deaf ears because they're not willing to pay like you are when I go hunting, I want to experience the coldest of cold. I want to be hurting in that deer stand and I just want it because I know that through that sacrifice, that reward will come. When I stay out there longer than my brother, there's a better chance I'm going to get a deer than he is. (laughs) I'm being 100% honest. And when people go to the cabin because their toes are about falling off, I, I march up there last. And they're like, you're hardcore. And I just see that here today, that you guys are hardcore. You're hardcore about listening to God, you're hardcore about changing the environment, hardcore about your own lives, and you're hardcore about others, you rock, you're rock stars, you are famous. You guys go enjoy the day, the week, but let's do that, let's make a commitment together that we're not going to settle for mediocrity, enough, I mean there's enough churches out there that just show up on Sunday want church that's to show up on Sunday, there's a hundred of them. Let's be a church that we go out and we get semi-trailers to help the tornado victims. Let's be a church that we go out and we actually get a chainsaw and we help cut trees down. Let's be a church that when a shooting happens, we love on the people before we say what caused it. There's a hundred people saying what caused it, but at that moment in time, and now, it's still needing people to be loved on because there's still, the Bible says there's a time to mourn. And so, I could keep going, but I won't because you guys, you're amazing. Thank you so much.